Welcome to the Ladies of LifeSite. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face through the lens of faith and freedom. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. I hope you've had a great week. I'm Lisa, and I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, Rebecca, and today we are talking with Angela Erickson. Angela is a co-host of a radio show. She's a blogger, podcaster, and mama of four, and is pregnant with their fifth. Last week, we talked to David and Margaret B. Wright, and they talked a little bit about integrating the liturgical season into their homes. And so as we're moving through the season of Advent and preparing our hearts for Christmas, we wanted to bring on Angela because she has so many great tips and words of encouragement for all of us to help keep our focus on Christ amidst Christmas traditions and the noise of the world around us. In today's episode, we talk about faith, managing expectations, giving ourselves grace, and some practical ways that we can ask Christ to enter into the corners of our hearts that need him most. Angela's motto when it comes to Christmas preparation is less is more. And it resonates in her home with her husband and their kids. And in talking with her after we stopped recording this show, she said something that I wanted to share with you. It's that sometimes it's not about doing all the things for our families, because when we try to do everything, we can often not do everything well. But if we pick only one or two things to consistently incorporate into our homes, we can do those one or two things extremely well. And it's those one or two traditions that will resonate most with our kids. And often those are the things that they will likely remember. So I can't wait for all of you to hear from Angela. So without further ado, let's welcome Angela Erickson. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm honored to be on. It's fun to talk to you ladies again. Definitely. We love connecting with other mamas and we know you personally. So this is really a treat for us. So if you could just share, start out by sharing with our listeners about who you are and maybe just if you could share about your faith journey and kind of how you became pro-life. I am a wife of about eight, well, over eight years now. We have, my husband and I have four kids and a fifth one that is joining us this April. God willing. And yeah, we homeschool. We do all the the cool, crunchy homeschool stuff, I guess. And I was baptized Catholic and raised in a fairly nominally Catholic home, I would say. I think my mom, she she was the one that brought Catholicism to the table. She's She was raised Catholic. And I think she did the best that she could with the catechesis that she herself had. But as I got older and started to have more questions and really was wrestling with a lot of my own identity, I think you get into those teen years of angst, (laughs) trying to come to terms with what that meant, what Catholicism meant in light of the world around me. Then moving onwards to college, started to have more questions, especially going to college in a very liberal environment. I sort of had the sense that if I didn't know anything substantive about the faith, I really had no, like I needed to have the spine to be able to defend what I believed because I was certain that the Catholic faith was the true faith. That was never a a question to me. And as I started to dive into Catholicism and really learn more about the, you know, the mass and reconciliation, all the sacraments and, you know, different aspects of theology and 
the longstanding teachings of the of, of the faith, it was obviously quite natural to start to look at things like abortion through a different light. And I'd had some experience with abortion in high school. I had heard of girls getting abortions in my class, or I even there was one girl in my grade that supposedly gave herself an abortion with a coat hanger. I, I don't know if that was true or not. So those were kind of my earliest exposures. And then eventually I found out that someone in my family very close to me had had two abortions and that kind of rocked my world at the time. And so in college, when I was reintroduced to pro-life, I guess, pro-life work in a sense, I, I, I started to think more seriously about it because at the time I was sort of going through a reversion and became very passionate about pro-life work in the long run and ended up working for Students for Life of America for about a year and then ran a pregnancy medical center for two years. And then I worked with you lovely ladies for about a year or so until we had our third child. And I sort of came to a, a different place where I thought, you know, I have three really young kids. I should probably be home with, with them. So that's, that's what I chose to do. And now we've started homeschooling and, and now I'm launching a podcast and blog and doing all this other stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been a beautiful journey that's about as short as I can, as I can tell the story, though. That was such a great background on who you are, I think, for our listeners who want to know just how can they incorporate, you know, the faith that they have into their homes and, and for their kids? And what are some ways, I know we're going to dive into Advent a little bit more specifically, but what are some ways just in general that you have found have been kind of the, the ways that you would say, like, these are the main things I do in my home on a weekly basis or a daily basis for our kids that, you know, we utilize to encourage them in their faith or teach them the faith? Like I said, I, I was raised in a nominally Catholic home. So the liturgical living piece was not, I wouldn't say very prominent. I mean, we went to Mass every week, but that was kind of the extent of it. So over the last several years, because I started to have more of that reversion and do more of that sort of intellectual investigating. I mean, I think anyone who knows me well knows that I am not somebody that likes, I don't take things on face value very often. Like I like to do research. I like to learn more about the roots of something. And so when I start to get interested, I sort of go all in. <laughs> I dive into it and I will research things to death if it's something that interests me. And I think one thing that I love about being Catholic is just how much tradition there is to pull from because there's always new ways to teach our children and to incorporate a daily prayer routine, which all of the saints have said is extremely important to, to cultivate a daily prayer life. And so that looks different depending on the stage that you're at, especially if you have young children or if your children are out of the house. But some of the things that we like to do, for example, every day when I'm on top of things in life, <laughs> which again, sometimes changes depending on the season, but I really like to pray the Angelus with my kids every day at noon. But I like to start the day with morning prayer, usually at breakfast. I, I sort of try to pair things with things that we do every day. So I know we're going to 
come together and have breakfast. So we try to say our morning prayers, like our daily consecration and pray to our guardian angels and St. Michael, that kind of stuff. We'll pray the Angelus at noon. And in the evening, my husband reads the Bible to them every night. And so, and then we do our normal prayer time. We also, depending on the season, like during Lent, we'll usually pray the rosary every night with the kids or during Advent, our scripture readings have been focused on like our Jesse tree. So it kind of changes depending on the season. Otherwise, if it's, if it's not one of those more penitential seasons, we're usually reading whatever the daily readings are for the kids. So they're still staying within a liturgical framework, right? Like whether you're talking about the church or like what's going on in the larger scope of the church or within a more micro sense of like this particular season, here's what we're doing. So yeah, those are some of the things that we do every day for our children. And I will say my youngest, who is six, she is already so much more advanced in in prayer life and knowing her prayers and things like that. We're going to be doing her first reconciliation and first communion early because she she already knows things like her act of contrition and all those all those things that I didn't know until I was much, much older. So it's really cool to see the fruit of that and the and the conversations that we have because we are living a life, trying to live a life rooted in prayer in our home as much as we can. So I know that you've taken your kids to daily mass quite a bit just in the time that I've known you. You have had some funny stories about your kids at mass. But what what are some I mean, because when I hear of you know, when I talk to you and other moms who are just doing so many amazing things in their homes for their kids, and then, you know, life can just be busy and you just kind of feel like, gosh, how do they do it? But could you just share maybe a, a story of, you know, trying to take your kids to mass when when it wasn't the perfect day maybe for you guys, but you made it happen? That's so funny. My husband is on call for work right now for two, two a two-week long call. And every Sunday when he's on call, he always gets called out to work while we're getting ready out to go to mass. So almost every Sunday that he's on call, I I take the kids to mass by myself. And we haven't been able to go to daily mass as much. We, We drive a little ways to go to the parish that we normally go to because there are some things that honestly make me a little bit apoplectic. When I see them at, uh, so this is, this is a, this is a me thing. It's, I, you know, you know how things are right now in the church life site covers it all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we've had some pretty interesting experiences going to mass, but one thing I, I sort of feel personally is that less is more. So we don't pack a bunch of stuff for our kids to like play with. Usually we don't pack snacks and things like that. I figure they should be able to spend a little time without needing to be placated. But I know not every kid can do that or that I'm not saying parents should do that cold turkey or whatever. But I just found those things tend to be more distracting than beneficial. So that has helped a lot. Actually is not bringing all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, sometimes do I have kids trying to run down the aisle to the front? Yes. Just yesterday, actually, (laughs) because, of course, my husband got called into work this, you know, when we went to mass. But I think those kinds of things, 
trying to minimize the additional distractions and really modeling for your kids like this is a time for prayer. I always say this is prayer time, not play time. Kids see that, and especially if the father is really involved, that's extremely helpful because they can see, wow, dad is kneeling before somebody who is greater than him. That's a really powerful thing for a child. They're really learning through example, which is why where you take your children to church is extremely important because you're wanting them to see how to worship the Lord. And so I think for me that those are the things that have helped a lot. And I, and I won't say it, it, it's not always perfect. I spend a lot of time in the entry at church and we do have crying kids and all of that stuff, but our six-year-old is extremely well-behaved and and I see the four-year-old is kind of making progress in that way too. And so I also remind myself, this is just a chapter of our life. This isn't going to be forever. And so I, I'm trying to embrace that a lot of the time when we are embarrassed because we have a kid that's acting out or, or what have you. I think just being realistic and minimizing distraction makes a big difference. The more that our kids go to mass and sit in the pews with us, I think that they get used to it especially for those long lengths of time. And I think that's important too, because a lot of parents I've talked to get discouraged. You know, they see that their kids are acting out in mass and they think, well, I can't do this. They get overwhelmed, which I totally understand. It's like, you know, me taking four kids, six and under by myself to mass and being pregnant. It's not, it's not always easy, <laughs> but the more you do take them, they, they start to learn, you know, they, they see how the people around them are behaving Again, because kids learn primarily through experience at this age, they're not, they don't have the capacity or the intellect for a reason. (laughs) So you have to show them what, how to, how to behave. They learn so much by example. If you're a parent out there who has been discouraged before, just, you know, maybe easier said than done, but you can do it. It is hard, but keep bringing your kids to mass. I wanted to share this because this is, it's right on with it. We had a really interesting and kind of challenging Sunday, not yesterday, but the day bo- or the week before, where just my, my four-year-old was, I don't know, he's just a little bit antsy and was, you know, not, not really ready to listen quite, quite yet. And uh, at least that morning. And uh, our two-year-old was just, of course, being two, but we started singing a song and both of them ha- weren't quite sure of the words and but they were they were singing their own little version and i there was an older lady behind us who smiled and then leaned forward and and made a comment about i love that they're doing what you're doing and it was just one of those moments that i was like this is why this is why you do this and this is why you power through the challenging moments because this is this is exactly their reason. They're emulating the people around them, not only their parents, but but everyone else. And I think that that's beautiful. And then I, I'll kind of transition our topic into what we came to talk about, which is Advent and, and kind of the season that we're in right now, by kind of also expanding on. I loved the fact that our pastor that morning actually introduced the Advent candles and the season of Advent through kind of like a dramatized storytelling. And every kid in the room was so captivated, and as were all of the adults. So it was just a really, really cool way of doing that. And then by the fact of them just being in 
with everybody else. They participated in that and just got to see really how exciting Advent is. And and then he introduced the, you know, the topic for that week. So I just wanted to kind of shift our focus to the topic we're at. So what are some ways that you, Angela, as a mom, have been incorporating Advent into your home? So we love the Advent race. My kids, I mean, I feel like kids really are drawn to that. Anything with, you know, fire and (laughs) Anything that could be a hazard, kids love it naturally. So we love the Advent wreath and talking every week about this is what this candle means. You know, this is this is the third Sunday of Advent. So here we're at God Day Day Sunday. I always get tripped up on how exactly to pronounce it. My Latin is still in progress. But, you know, talking about what each candle means, all of that stuff, that's, and waiting until we get to the white Christmas candle. We also really like to do the Jesse tree this year has been really great to move us through the story of salvation history and, and the incarnation of Christ. I think being able to walk that journey with the kids is amazing because, you know, often they're getting excerpts of scripture, you know, but they're not necessarily going through kind of the whole picture of God's covenant with Israel leading to its fulfillment in Christ you know, in such a short time frame over 24, 25 days. So I really love the Jesse tree tradition. I just found like a printable on on Pinterest, of course, and printed it out. And I have a thing on our wall that it's like a, it's like a paper roller and I just roll it out and I, I drew a big tree on it and I cut out these little ornament pieces and glued them on for each day of the Jesse tree. And that's what we've been using to guide us through until we get to the top. And the kids love it every day. They go and they point to what ornament we're on and they tell me what they see on it. And they kind of guess what, what we might be reading for the day. And then my husband reads it to them before bedtime. And so that has been a really good tradition. And another tradition that I love, we haven't done it this year, but I fully intend to in the future is to get hay or cut out pieces of yarn or something. And every time a child does a good deed, they can place this yarn inside like a crush or a manger and to make to make it soft so that when Jesus is placed in it on Christmas Eve, they can create a place for him to rest when he arrives because of their good deeds, right? So it's a way of encouraging that almsgiving that that is, you know, Advent and the Christmas season are, is really well known for, but having that intentionality behind it and really tying it to Jesus and how Jesus is a gift. He is the gift that we're preparing for, not not all the presents under the tree. So that is one thing that I'm really looking forward to doing with the kids as they get older. My mom had a Jesse tree and it was actually one of those like felt it's like it's all made out of felt each one is and it's like velcroed on and that's actually that was given to me I don't know it was probably like the second Christmas after my first kiddo was born and so we've been using that and it's I don't know so it's kind of fun just to know that we that I used it and then my kids do the same thing where they'll guess you know what are we going to talk about a little bit so I think it's I think it's really cool to be able to walk through like you said kind of the whole story instead of just focusing on his birth it's it's such a bigger picture and it's such a bigger story so being able to focus on that 
at least a little bit throughout this season is is so wonderful. You also mentioned with the the giving of hay and kind of creating that, and you have started to talk a little bit about like preparing your hearts. So what else have you been doing to kind of foster that spirit of preparation and, and I don't know, just kind of anticipation and excitement during this time? So I'm kind of strange and I wait to do most of my decorating to build up that anticipation. The kids know that we're preparing for Christmas and I focus on kind of minimizing the, you know, I just, I I think especially as a woman, you associate, I mean, your home is the domestic church, right? Like it is your ecclesia. And so I really am big on having my home reflect the liturgical season to the best of my ability. And in some ways it will naturally be tied to what's happening in nature, obviously. So, you know, bringing in some of those wintergreen type things that all that stuff is good and fine, but we don't put the tree up right away. (laughs) We don't decorate the tree for Christmas until we're really getting close. In years past, I have put the tree up at the beginning of Advent and put purple um, and silver ornaments on it. And then I would add pink ribbon or yeah, pink ribbon on the third Sunday of Advent. And then I would strip it down on Christmas Eve and put up all of our beautiful Christmas ornaments kind of as a visual for the kids to show them that this is Christ is here, you know? So this year, because we just have so much going on, I've, I've waited to put the tree up and, and do some, some more of those things. I mean, we talk a lot about prayer and what we're, what we're preparing for because kids are very, you know, they're children. So they associate this time with presents a lot of the time and trying to minimize that sense that this is a material, this is all about material giving and receiving. Like we are putting things together to donate and bring to a women's shelter that I really love or, you know, trying to foster more of that giving spirit and that spirit of generosity and also partaking in more of the feast days and why the, why holiness is so important and like why Jesus came to uh, redeem us so that we can spend eternity with him in heaven, all of that stuff, really having more of those conversations and holding off on bringing Christmas into my house before it's actually Christmas. So we don't listen to Christmas music yet. We don't bake all of the things quite yet, really waiting so that they can sense that anticipation. They're really excited about it. Okay, so what do you do then once Christmas is here? You go the, you know, the 12 days of Christmas. What do you guys do at that point? What is kind of your house look like once Christmas is here? Then I keep the tree up after everyone else and like the Christmas decorations and we do more baking in those 12 days of Christmas and more of that celebratory thing. That's when we give our gifts. Usually I don't, I try not to give gifts before Christmas. I mean, so I've, all of the things that we weren't doing during Advent, that kind of all comes out. And also to, especially for preparing for Epiphany, those 12 days of Christmas, right? Like Epiphany will, you know, 
a lot of families will do the three wise men traveling around their house basically to get to the nativity set and they'll have readings a lot of people have readings to do with that i believe we haven't done it yet that's another thing that i want to incorporate um i just haven't bought my little wise men yet to, to add to my nativity set but I think that's a really cool tradition, too, for those first 12 days of Christmas, going to the Epiphany and then doing the Epiphany home blessing on on Epiphany. I think that's really, really key, too, for our, you know, my children. I love when they get to see their their dad exercising his priestly role as the head of, in, you know, as the head of the home and blessing the house and preparing it for the next year. I love that. I love all these practical ideas, especially for even families who have young ones that are just kind of maybe just now getting into starting different traditions, I think this is really great for giving some practical tips. One question that I have for you, Angela, especially as you mentioned your husband, what are some ways that you maybe as a couple or individually prepare your own hearts for Christmas? I know that a lot of what we do as parents is geared towards teaching the faith to our children and incorporating different traditions and things into our home for them, but what are some ways that you have found have been really helpful for you as a mom and perhaps as a wife to prepare your own heart? I think it's really easy to get caught up in trying to do everything, right? Like, especially in this season, you know, you come off of, you know, Thanksgiving and then you're jumping right into all the holiday shopping and doing all this stuff. So I try to do all of my Christmas shopping at least as much of it as I can before Advent starts. So I might be picking things up throughout the year <laughs> to have on hand to in, in preparation for Christmas, honestly. Um, that way, I, there's so much less stress around that. And I can say, okay, that's taken care of. I don't need to focus on that right now. Another thing that I think is really important is to cultivate more silence in these times of preparation, especially especially in a world where the secular would have you think now everything is very loud and there's so much to do. And I think it's important, even more important when there's so much chaos that we step back and bring more silence into our homes because it's in the silence that the Lord speaks the most to us and we are able to hear his voice. And if you're not cultivating that silence and giving space and room for that in your home and in your life, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on that, preparing your heart. And I think the last thing I would say is, is we try to ramp up more of that prayer life. I, I kind of look at Advent in a similar way to Lent, both of them being, you know, more focused on that preparation and also penance. So trying to offer more sacrifices, those little mortifications that help us not be so attached to the world, whether that's Maybe not adding sugar to your coffee or, you know, they can be small mortifications, but I think creating an environment too for in your heart for that detachment so you can really receive this heavenly joy in Christ. Because as we know, Advent is not so much only about the birth of Christ, but also his second coming and preparing the way for him to come into our hearts and, and for us to live in a, in a manner worthy of him and, and live our lives understanding that we will all die. <laughs> so with all of those things in mind, I just think silence, less is more, and don't get so overwhelmed in having to do everything because you just you don't have to do everything. We just have to have our eyes on Christ. 
Well, and I think that's so countercultural to what our world uh, focuses on during this time. And when you kind of enter this season of Advent, which for the world is really the Christmas season, it's very loud and it's very noisy. I mean, it's everywhere you go. I was just running a couple errands last week and it was it took twice as long to do anything because there was so much traffic and there were so many people shopping and it was just a lot and it just felt very noisy. And, you know, we have Christmas music and all of these things and there's just a lot of noise around us. And so I think what you're saying, Angela, is spot on of just making sure that we can take the time to be silent and really focus our hearts on what truly is important during this time. And that's focusing on Christ. And as I was, I went to a mom's Bible study that I'm a part of last week and every Christmas meeting kind of during the Christmas uh, season in December, they have the different mentor moms come around to all the tables and share what their Christmas traditions were that they incorporated into their homes as their children were younger And it was interesting because as each of them came around to our tables, they, you know, shared a couple of their family's traditions, but they, they didn't know what each other, you know, what the other moms were saying or sharing, but every single one of them, as they came to our table, shared one thing that they had wished they had done differently. And every single one of them you know, whether it was at the beginning of them sharing or at the end, they said, I want all of you to know if I could go back and change one thing, you know, about when my kids were younger in the Christmas season and preparing everything for Christmas and our hearts for Christ, one thing I would do differently is just to have been more present. You know, they said you can get very involved in doing all these things for your kids and incorporating all the traditions, but to just be present and to just focus more on incorporating Christ and our faith more into those traditions, they said that is the one thing that they would go back and change is to have that be more of the focus. So I love that your example, Angela, of doing this kind of as a younger mom starting this. I think it's so encouraging to all of our listeners who maybe have younger kids or have had kids for a while but are trying to figure out how to refocus. I think this is really encouraging for them. Less is more. That's kind of my motto. And and it seems to be working out okay. (laughs) The kids will survive, you know, (laughs) they'll they'll survive if they don't go to every single planned event or, you know, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a really noisy season. So take a step back, breathe and yeah, be present, immerse yourself in scripture. I love that you say things like, you know, they won't. They'll survive, you know, when they don't go to whatever event. We actually had the opportunity to go to a living nativity last night and walk through the different, like, stations that they had set up. And they had, you know, live animals and lots of cool things and and different stuff going on. And I was so excited for my four-year-old to get to to do this. And that just didn't – I don't know. Just everything didn't come together. And I – we didn't end up going and I ended up like last night just kind of feeling like, I don't know, almost like I failed him and the Christmas season simply because we didn't do this one thing. And I don't know. I just hearing you say that it, it reminds me that I'm like, it's that's not that's not what it's about. Would it have been a fun experience? Of course it would have. But it's our it's our daily 
our daily attitude and what we're doing on a regular basis that really makes a long-term investment and difference in their life, not the, you know, living nativity or a cookie decorating event or, you know, what have you that makes the difference to, to them. So I don't know. I just really appreciate that comment. The consistency piece, I think, is the most important in, in seeing you model that peace and grace. And I'm not good at this. So this is, <laughs> this is you know, I, this is an area in which I, I have to grow um, exponentially. But yeah, I mean, that consistency, especially in peace and grace, especially when things aren't going the way that you want them to, because yeah, it, it is the day-to-day. It is the routine that you build with your family and the church that you're you're developing within your home and in your family that will have the longest impact. So that's what's, why this is so important. This is why I think I, I've become so interested in living more liturgically because you're cultivating that daily prayer life and then you're uniting that with the church. And, and when you're uniting it with the church, it's like you have all these people praying with you and for you. And, and that's a gift that grace abounds and where there is grace, (laughs) there will be more grace. It doesn't ever, it's never something that goes dry. And so, yeah, you, you can have these really fun experiences during different seasons, you know, especially during Advent, but that's not what's going to bring lifelong conversion of heart and that continual desire to come to know the Lord and be in relationship and to know him and know why he came and died for us. So, yeah, I'm glad that that was reassuring to you because I think it is really easy to get caught up in doing everything, you know, thinking that this is what's going to be so important for our children, but really it's kind of us, right? Like I, at least I know for myself, when I feel like I have checked off the boxes, there's like that pride in me. That's like, yeah, I've crushed it. <laughs> and when when things don't go the way that I want them to, then I have to like come to terms with my mortality and my humanity, <laughs> which I don't like. <laughs> and I have to accept that I'm not, I'm not a wonder woman. I'm not a super mom. I'm just me. And I'm just trying to do my, my best. And my best isn't always going to go the way that I had hoped it would go, but the Lord is going to use it. He's going to use what I'm, I'm giving to him. And he's going to, he's going to take that small or very big effort and he's going to transform it into something beautiful. And it can be so hard as a mom, like to manage our expectations because sometimes we have expectations of how things will go and we don't even realize that we have those expectations. We just are disappointed when those expectations aren't met sometimes. But how are some ways perhaps, Angela, that you have found when things don't go your way that you're able to kind of manage those expectations, just give it back to God and say, okay, (laughs) I give it to you and, you know, you will bear fruit from this in some way. My last child, I think, has really taught me a lot in that. We have really have struggled with different things with him. And basically nothing has gone the, had gone the way that I hoped it would. And our, our struggles by the comparison, you know, you want to play the comparison game. I think we tend to do that like, oh, well, you know, I should be grateful because, you know, I could have it way worse, which is true. And I am grateful. And, I, and I'm grateful in the sense that a lot of the expectations that I had with Elijah, our youngest, you know, a lot of those expectations of things that I had thought would happen or the way that nursing would happen or health things, all of that, the way that that would all go down, basically everything went, (laughs) 
went differently. And I had to learn a lot about expectations and reevaluate why do I have these expectations? And where does this come from? And where does this sense of disappointment or failure come from? And so a lot of the last year and a half for me, which has obviously gone into my spiritual life as well and, and living out our faith in our home. But going back to a lot of things that related to my upbringing or certain dispositions that I have and having to heal a lot of wounds because a lot of expectations I've realized stem from things that happen to us and things that we get ingrained into our brain and we're projecting onto our children or the world around us <laughs> the expectations that we have that are sometimes very unrealistic and and so for me a lot of that has been about healing a lot of hurt in my life and trying to bring more grace um and more peace into my life and into my heart and, and a lot of that is through the word of god and and deep conversion of heart over and over again and asking the lord to come into those places and answer help me answer those questions like why do i have these expectations why do I feel like a failure when this doesn't happen the way that I thought it would? Why do I, why does this one thing bother me so much? It seems irrational. Like a lot of those things really come back to me and not, not what's happening in my environment. So taking a step back and really contemplating and, and evaluating and asking those questions, the why question, I think that makes a big difference in being able to identify what's going on in your heart and being able to pause and acknowledge like, okay, so this is happening right now, but this isn't going to define my day and it's not going to define me and moving forward from that and taking a different course of action. And I think that's just so crucial as a mom. And I think I'm just so encouraged even by hearing you share that, Angela, because I think that sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves, especially when things don't go our way or things with our kids aren't going the way that we think they should or whatever it may be. But I think that when we really reflect on on who who God created us to be and our purpose as mothers for our families, God's giving us the grace. And I think we need to, sometimes we have the hardest time giving, allowing that grace to come into our lives because we, you know, want to strive for perfection or whatever it is. So I think it's encouraging to hear that reality from you too, because as a mom who is doing a lot of the things that are many would like to do in their homes, it's, it is encouraging to kind of hear just that piece of it of that no matter what, whenever we look around and there's, you know, other people doing things that we would like to do or we wish we could do in our homes or whatever it may be, I think the reality is is that, you know, we all are at different places in different seasons, but that's, I think, where I love how the season of Advent can help us reflect on what's truly important and even just kind of as Lent does as well of preparing and this time of readying our hearts and preparing for the way of the Lord and <clears throat> coming to uh, that that point in our hearts of realizing that that's what's most important. So I love this theme of that, um, you know, less is more as a mom and not just during the holidays, but I think in general. So I love that you shared that as well. 
So, Angela, where can people find out or follow, I guess, your journey? And also, you have a podcast that you've launched. You mentioned that in the beginning. So where can people go to listen to that? Can you just share a little bit about that? This podcast that I've launched, and it, I do have a blog that coincides with it as well. It's called Integrated with Angela Erickson. It should be, you should be able to find it on like every major platform, but I will say there's a caveat. I love my boomer friends, so please don't, don't, don't be offended, but I made a boomer move. And I, I, when I submitted from my host site to these other platforms, I put it in as Angela's podcast for some reason and not integrated with Angela Erickson. So for a long time, I couldn't find my podcast showing up on anything. <laughs> so you should be able to find it as integrated with Angela Erickson by now. But if you can't, it might be listed as Angela's podcast. <laughs> so I don't, that made me laugh a lot. But really the podcast is going to cover a lot of things having to do with living an integrated life, connecting the body and the soul, and what that means in terms of how we live out our lives. Because I think often a lot of us are lacking a sense of purpose because things feel so disjointed. I mean, you look at the culture today and there is this living Gnosticism of the, you know, that divorce of the body and the soul. And people are so confused because we're not made to live lives where these things are separate, right? Like God himself became incarnate <laughs> because our, the body is important and, and for various other reasons as well. But I think it points to a truth that the body and the soul are meant to be integrated and that has real um, consequences for how we live our life and encounter God and come to know him and in knowing him come to know ourselves. So a lot of talk about liturgical living, health, the church and the sacraments, all kinds of stuff, art, I really want to touch on kind of those bigger questions to answer the question of why are things the way that they are and what does that mean for me to give people a sense of purpose again, because there is a rhyme and a reason for how you were created. So that being said, you can find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook page called, you know, Integrated with Angela Erickson. I think most of my handles are at Integrated Angela, except for my Twitter handle. So you can find me on, on Instagram as at Integrated Angela, or you can find me on Twitter at A. Erickson Thinks. Just be warned, my, my Twitter is definitely where you get my <laughs> more interesting thoughts. <laughs> so beware. And then I do have a website as well, and people can subscribe to occasional emails or find the podcast there as well. And I'm excited because I have my first interview this week with David B. Wright, and we're going to be talking about conviction and how conviction changes our lives when we let it. So I'm excited. I love it. We just chatted with David B. Wright on our episode last week. So I highly encourage our listeners to go listen to yours. Yes, as a follow-up, they're just an amazing couple. We got to talk to Margaret as well. So to all our listeners, I highly encourage you to listen to last week's episode. Do a shameless plug for that as we talk to David and Margaret, but also definitely hop on over to Angela's podcast as well. So completely perfect timing for all of this. So thank you so much, Angela, for taking the time 
to share with us today. I just so encourage, I hope all of our listeners are encouraged as well. When it comes to the Advent season, I think it's just the perfect time to take all of this into consideration and integrate some of this into our homes. So thank you so much, Angela. And if any of you have any questions, you can email ladies at lifesightnews.com. 